0: section four of the life of samuel johnson volume four this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the life of samuel johnson volume four by james boswell section four goldsmith upon being visited by johnson one day in the temple said to him with a little jealousy of the appearance of his accommodation, I shall soon be in better chambers than these. Johnson at the same time checked him and paid him a handsome compliment, implying that a man of his talents should be above attention to such distinctions. Nay, sir, never mind that. Nil te qua siveris extra. At the time when his pension was granted to him, he said, with a noble literary ambition, Had this happened twenty years ago, I should have gone to Constantinople to learn Arabic, as Pocock did. As an instance of the niceness of his taste, though he praised West's translation of Pindar, he pointed out the following passage as faulty by expressing a circumstance so minute as to detract from the general dignity which should prevail. Down then from thy glittering nail, take, O muse, thy Dorian lyre. Footnote. A work of this kind must, in a minute examination, discover many imperfections. But West's Persian, so far as I have considered it, appears to be the product of great labour and great abilities. End of footnote. When Mr. Vesey was proposed as a member of the Literary Club, Mr. Burke began by saying that he was a man of gentle manners. Sir, said Johnson, you need say no more. When you have said a man of gentle manners, you have said enough the late mr fitzherbert told mr langton that johnson said to him sir a man has no more right to say an uncivil thing than to act one no more right to say a rude thing to another than to knock him down my dear friend dr bathurst said he with a warmth of approbation declared he was glad that his father who was a west indian planter had left his affairs in total ruin because having no estate he was not under the temptation of having slaves richardson had little conversation except about his own works of which sir joshua reynolds said he was always willing to talk and glad to have them introduced johnson when he carried mr langton to see him professed that he could bring him out into conversation, and used this elusive expression, Sir, I can make him rear. But he failed, for in that interview Richardson said little else than that there lay in the room a translation of his Clarissa into German. Footnote. A literary lady has favoured me with a characteristic anecdote of Richardson. One day at his country house at North End, where a large company was assembled at dinner, a gentleman who had just returned from Paris, willing to please Mr Richardson, mentioned to him a very flattering circumstance, that he had seen his Clarissa lying on the King's brother's table. Richardson, observing that part of the company were engaged in talking to each other, affected then not to attend to it. But by and by, when there was a general silence, and he thought that the flattery might be fully heard, he addressed himself to the gentleman. "'I think, sir, you were saying something about pausing in a high flutter of expectation.' The gentleman, provoked at his inordinate vanity, resolved not to indulge it, and with an exquisitely sly air of indifference answered, A mere trifle, sir, not worth repeating. The mortification of Richardson was visible, and he did not speak ten words more the whole day. Dr. Johnson was present, and appeared to enjoy it much. Boswell End of footnote once when somebody produced a newspaper in which there was a letter of stupid abuse of sir joshua reynolds of which johnson himself came in for a share pray said he let us have it read aloud from beginning to end which being done he with a ludicrous earnestness and not directing his look to any particular person called out Are we alive after all this satire he had a strong prejudice against the political character of seeker one instance of which appeared at oxford where he expressed a great dissatisfaction at his varying the old established toast church and king footnote e'en in a bishop i can spy seeker is decent Rundle has a heart horace walpole wrote on august the fourth seventeen sixty eight we have lost our pope canterbury archbishop seeker died yesterday he had never been a papist but almost everything else our churchmen will not be catholics that stock seems quite fallen End of footnote The Archbishop of Canterbury, said he, with an affected, smooth, smiling grimace, drinks constitution in church and state. Being asked what difference there was between the two toasts, he said Why, sir, you may be sure he meant something. Yet when the life of that prelate Prefixed to his sermons by dr porteous and dr stinton his chaplains first came out he read it with the utmost avidity and said it is a life well written and that well deserves to be recorded of a certain noble lord he said respect him you could not for he had no mind of his own love him you could not for that which you could do with him, everyone else could. Footnote, perhaps the Earl of Cork. End of footnote. Of Dr. Goldsmith, he said, no man was more foolish when he had not a pen in his hand, or more wise when he had. Footnote, Garrick perhaps borrowed this saying when, in his epigram on Goldsmith, Speaking of the ideas of which his head was full, he said, When his mouth opened, all were in a pother, rushed to the door and tumbled o'er each other, but rallying soon, with all their force again, in bright array, they issued from his pen. End of he told in his lively manner the following literary anecdote. Green and Guthrie, an Irishman, and a Scotchman, undertook a translation of Duhal's History of China. Green said of Guthrie that he knew no English, and Guthrie of Green that he knew no French. And these two undertook to translate Duhal's History of China. In this translation there was found the twenty-sixth day of the new moon. Now, as the whole age of the moon is but 28 days, the moon, instead of being new, was nearly as old as it could be. Their blunder arose from their mistaking the word neviem, ninth, for nouvelle or neuve, new. Talking of Mr Blagden's copiousness and precision of communication, Dr Johnson said, "Blagden, sir, is a delightful fellow. Footnote. Horace Walpole writes of Boswell's Life of Johnson Dr Blagden says justly that it is a new kind of libel by which you may abuse anybody by saying some dead person said so and so of somebody alive. End of footnote. On occasion of doctor Johnson's publishing his pamphlet of the false alarm there came out a very angry answer by many, supposed to be by Mr. Wilkes. Dr. Johnson determined on not answering it, but, in conversation with Mr. Langton, mentioned a particular or two which, if he had replied to it, he might perhaps have inserted. In the answerer's pamphlet, it had been said with solemnity, Do you consider, sir, that a house of commons is to the people... As a creature is to its creator. Do you conceive the full force of the word constituent? It has the same relation to the house of commons as creator to creature. To this question, said Dr Johnson, I could have replied that, in the first place, the idea of a creator must be such as that he has a power to unmake or annihilate his creature. Then it cannot be conceived that a creature can make laws for its creator. His profound admiration of the great first cause was such as to set him above that philosophy and vain deceit with which men of narrower conceptions have been infected. I have heard him strongly maintain that what is right is not so from any natural fitness, but because God wills it to be right, and it is certainly so because he has predisposed the relations of things so as that which he wills must be right. Boswell Johnson was as much opposed as the Rev. Mr. Thwackham to the philosopher' Square, who measured all actions by the unalterable rule of right and the eternal fitness of things. End footnote. Depend upon it, said he, that if a man talks of his misfortunes, there is something in them that is not disagreeable to him. For where there is nothing but pure misery, there never is any recourse to the mention of it. Footnote. In Rasselas we read that the prince's look discovered him to receive some solace of the miseries of life from consciousness of the delicacy with which he felt and the eloquence with which he bewailed them. End of a man must be a poor beast that should read no more in quantity than he could utter aloud. Imlac in Rassilus I spelt with a C at the end because it is less like English which should always have the Saxon K added to the C. Footnote I hope the authority of the great master of our language will stop that curtailing innovation by which we see critic public etc. Reader's note spelt with a final C only frequently written instead of critic public etc reader's notes spelt with the final c k boswell boswell had always been nice in his spelling in the preface to his corsica published twenty-four years before the life of johnson he defends his peculiarities and says if this work should at any future period be reprinted i hope that care will be taken of my orthography Mr. Croker says that in a memorandum in Johnson's writing he has found cubic feet. Readers note cubic with a final c. End of footnote. Many a man is mad in certain instances and goes through life without having it perceived. For example, a madness has seized a person of supposing himself obliged literally to pray continually. Had the madness turned the opposite way, and the person thought it a crime ever to pray, it might not improbably have continued unobserved. Footnote Disorders of intellect, answered Imlac, happen much more often than superficial observers will easily believe. Perhaps if we speak with rigorous exactness, no human mind is in its right state end of footnote. he apprehended that the delineation of characters in the end of the first book of the retreat of the ten thousand was the first instance of the kind that was known supposing said he a wife to be of a studious or argumentative turn it will be very troublesome for instance, if a woman should continually dwell upon the subject of the Arian heresy. Footnote. Yet he gave lessons in Latin to Miss Burney and Miss Thrale. In sky, he said, Depend upon it. No woman is the worse for sense and knowledge. End of footnote. No man speaks concerning another, even supposed it be in his praise, if he thinks he does not hear him exactly as he would if he thought he was within hearing the applause of a single human being is of great consequence this he said to me with great earnestness of manner very near the time of his decease on occasion of having desired me to read a letter addressed to him from some person in the north of england which when i had done and he asked me what the contents were as I thought being particular upon it might fatigue him, it being of great length, I only told him in general that it was highly in his praise, and then he expressed himself as above. He mentioned with an air of satisfaction what Baretti had told him, that meeting in the course of his studying English with an excellent paper in the Spectator, one of four that were written by the respectable dissenting minister mr grove of taunton and observing the genius and energy of mind that it exhibits it greatly quickened his curiosity to visit our country as he thought if such were the lighter periodical essays of our authors their productions on more weighty occasions must be wonderful indeed he observed once at sir joshua reynolds's that a beggar in the street will more readily ask alms from a man though there should be no marks of wealth in his appearance than from even a well-dressed woman which he accounted for from the greater degree of carefulness as to money that is to be found in women saying farther upon it that the opportunities in general that they possess of improving their condition are much fewer than men have and adding as he looked round the company which consisted of men only there is not one of us who does not think he might be richer if he would use his endeavour footnote stern is of a direct contrary opinion see his sentimental journey article the mystery boswell stern had been of the same opinion as johnson for he says that the beggar he saw confounded all kind of reasoning upon him. He passed by me, he continues, without asking anything, and yet he did not go five steps farther before he asked charity of a little woman. I was much more likely to have given of the two. He had scarce done with the woman when he pulled his hat off to another, who was coming the same way. An ancient gentleman came slowly, and after him a young smart one. He let them both pass, and asked nothing. I stood observing him half an hour, in which time he had made a dozen turns backwards and forwards, and found that he invariably pursued the same plan. End of he thus characterised an ingenious writer of his acquaintance Sir, he is an enthusiast by rule. Footnote. Very likely, Dr. Wharton. End of footnote. He may hold up that shield against all his enemies, was an observation on Homer in reference to his description of the shield of Achilles, made by Mrs. Fitzherbert, wife to his friend Mr. Fitzherbert of Derbyshire, and respected by Dr. Johnson as a very fine one. He had, in general, a very high opinion of that lady's understanding. Footnote. I differ from Mr. Croker in the explanation of this ill-turned sentence. The shield that Homer may hold up is the observation made by Mrs. Fitzherbert. It was this observation that Johnson respected as a very fine one. End of footnote. An observation of Bathurst's, may be mentioned, which Johnson repeated, appearing to acknowledge it to be well founded. Namely, it was somewhat remarkable how seldom, on occasion of coming into the company of any new person, one felt any wish or inclination to see him again. Footnote. In Boswelliana, I recorded two more of Langton's anecdotes. Mr. Beauclair told Dr. Johnson that Dr. James said to him he knew more Greek than Mr. Walmsley." Sir, said he, Dr. James did not know enough of Greek to be sensible of his ignorance of the language. Walmsley did. A certain young clergyman used to come about Dr. Johnson. The doctor said it vexed him to be in his company. His ignorance was so hopeless. Sir, said Mr. Langton, his coming about you shows he wishes to help his ignorance. Sir, said the doctor, his ignorance is so great, I am afraid to show him the bottom of it. End of footnote. This year the Reverend Dr. Franklin, having published a translation of Lucian, inscribed to him the demonax thus footnote churchill attacked him in the Rosciad. when he says it came to the choice of a judge others for franklin voted but twas known he sickened at all triumphs but his own end of footnote to dr samuel johnson the demonax of the present age this piece is inscribed by a sincere admirer of his respectable talents the translator though upon a particular comparison of demonax and johnson there does not seem to be a great deal of similarity between them this dedication is a just compliment from the general character given by lucian of the ancient sage Greek. Ariston on eide Ego Philosophon Genomenon, the best philosopher whom I have ever seen or known. 1781, I Itat 72. In 1781, Johnson at last completed his Lives of the Poets, of which he gives this account. Some time in March I finished the lives of the poets, which I wrote in my usual way, dilatorily and hastily, unwilling to work, and working with vigour and haste. In a memorandum previous to this he says of them, Written, I hope, in such a manner as may tend to the promotion of piety, this is the work which of all dr johnson's writings will perhaps be read most generally and with most pleasure philology and biography were his favourite pursuits and those who lived most in intimacy with him heard him upon all occasions when there was a proper opportunity take delight in expatiating upon the various merits of the english poets upon the niceties of their characters AND THE EVENTS OF THEIR PROGRESS THROUGH THE WORLD WHICH THEY CONTRIBUTED TO ELIMINATE. Note. Mr. Folk once observed to Dr. Johnson that in his opinion the doctor's literary strength lay in writing biography, of which he infinitely exceeded all his contemporaries. Sir, Sir Johnson, I believe that is true. The dogs don't know how to write trifles with dignity. End of footnote. His mind was so full of that kind of information, and it was so well arranged in his memory, that in performing what he had undertaken in this way, he had little more to do than to put his thoughts upon paper, exhibiting first each poet's life, and then subjoining a critical examination of his genius and works. But when he began to write, the subject swelled in such a manner, that instead of prefaces to each poet of no more than a few pages, as he had originally intended, he produced an ample, rich, and most entertaining view of them in every respect. Put note, his design is thus announced in his advertisement. The booksellers, having determined to publish a body of English poetry, I was persuaded to promise them a preface to the works of each author, an undertaking, as it was then presented to my mind, not very tedious or difficult. My purpose was only to have allotted to every poet an advertisement, like that, in original those, which we find in the French miscellanies, containing a few dates, and a general character but I have been led beyond my intention I hope by the honest desire of giving useful pleasure End of footnote. in this he resembled quintilian who tells us that in the composition of his institutions of oratory lacious se neperiente materia pluquam imponebato honoris the booksellers justly sensible of the great additional value of the copyright presented him with another hundred pounds over and above two hundred for which his agreement was to furnish such prefaces as he thought fit footnote he had bargained for two hundred guineas and the bookseller spontaneously added a third hundred on this occasion dr johnson observed to me sir i always said the booksellers were a generous set of men nor in the present instance have i reason to complain the fact is not that they have paid me too little but that i have written too much the lives were soon published in a separate edition when, for a very few corrections, he was presented with another hundred guineas. In Mr. Morrison's collection of autographs, etc., is Johnson's receipt for one hundred pounds from the proprietors of The Lives of the Poets for revising the last edition of that work. It is dated February the 19th, 1783. Underneath, in Johnson's autograph, are these words. It is great impudence to put Johnson's poets on the back of books which Johnson neither recommended nor revised. He recommended only Blackmore on the creation and Watts. How then are they Johnson's? This is indecent. The poets whom Johnson recommended were Blackmore, Watts, Pomfret, and Yolden. This was, however, but a small recompense for such a collection of biography and such principles and illustrations of criticism as, if digested and arranged in one system by some modern Aristotle or Longinus, might form a code upon that subject, such as no other nation can show. As he was so good as to make me a present of the greatest part of the original, and indeed only, manuscript of this admirable work, I have an opportunity of observing with wonder the correctness with which he rapidly struck off such glowing composition. He may be assimilated to the lady in Waller, who could impress with love at first sight. Gibbon says, of the last five quartos of the six that formed his history, my first rough manuscript, without any intermediate copy, has been sent to the press. In the memoir of Goldsmith, prefixed to his miscellaneous works, it is said, in whole choirs of his histories, animated nature, etc., he had seldom occasion to correct or alter a single word. End of Some other nymphs, with colours faint and pencil slow, may cupid paint, and a weak heart in time destroy. She has a stamp and prints the boy. That he, however, had a good deal of trouble and some anxiety in carrying on the work, we see from a series of letters to Mr. Nicholls the printer, whose variety of literary inquiry and obliging disposition rendered him useful to Johnson. Footnote. He trusted greatly to his memory. If it did not retain anything exactly, he did not think himself bound to look it up. Thus, in his criticism on Congreve, he says, Of his plays I cannot speak distinctly, for since I inspected them, many years have passed. In a note on his life of Rowe, Nichols says, This life is a very remarkable instance of the uncommon strength of Dr. Johnson's memory. When I received from him the manuscript, He complacently observed that the criticism was tolerably well done, considering that he had not read one of Rowe's plays for thirty years. Thus, in the life of Waller, Mr. Nicholls will find a reference to the parliamentary history from which a long quotation is to be inserted. If Mr. Nicholls cannot easily find the book, Mr. Johnson will send it from Streatham. Clarendon is here returned. By some accident I laid your note upon Duke up so safely that I cannot find it. Your informations have been of great use to me. I must beg it again, with another list of our authors, for I have laid that with the other. I have sent Stepney's epitaph. Let me have the revisers as soon as can be. December 1778. I have sent Phillips with his epitaphs to be inserted. The fragment of a preface is hardly worth the impression, but that we may seem to do something. It may be added to the life of Phillips. The Latin page is to be added to the life of Smith. I shall be at home to revise the two sheets of Milton, March 1st, 1779. Please to get me the last edition of Hughes's letters, and try to get Dennis upon Blackmore and upon Callow, and anything of the same writer, against Pope. Our materials are defective. As Waller professed to have imitated Fairfax, do you think a few pages of Fairfax would enrich our edition? Few readers have seen it, and it may please them, but it is not necessary. An account of the lives and works of some of the most eminent English poets by etc. The English poets biographically and critically considered by Samuel Johnson. Let Mr Nichols take his choice, or make another to his mind. May 1781 You somehow forgot the advertisement for the new edition. It was not enclosed. Of Gay's letters I see not that any use can be made, for they give no information of anything. That he was a member of the Philosophical Society is something, but surely he could be but a corresponding member. However, not having his life here, I know not how to put it in, and it is of little importance. The Editor of that miscellany in which johnson wrote for several years seems justly to think that every fragment of so great a man is worthy of being preserved boswell in the original manuscript in the british museum your in the third paragraph of this note is not in italics Johnson writes his correspondent's name Nichols Nickel and Nickel N I C O L. In the fourth paragraph he writes first Phillips one L and next Phillips two L. His spelling was sometimes careless. In the gentleman's magazine for seventeen eighty five another of these notes is published. In reading Roe in your edition, which is very impudently called mine, I observed a little piece unnaturally and odiously obscene. I was offended, but was still more offended when I could not find it in Rowe's genuine volumes. To admit it had been wrong, to interpolate it, is surely worse. If I had known of such a piece in the whole collection, I should have been angry. What can be done? In a note, Mr. Nichols says that this piece has not only appeared in the works of Rowe, but has been transplanted by Pope into the miscellanies he published in his own name and that of Dean Swift. End of footnote. End of section 4.